Kobe Manzo, Zach Keen, Division One Rejects, back at it again for week number nine now of Division One Rejects. The weeks are just starting to, I guess, blend together a little bit, but each episode seems like we're producing out some pretty solid content, and today is no exception. First of all, we've got a quarterback from Michigan Tech joining us. We've got Alex Freeze, who will be on the phone in just a few minutes, so excited for the conversation that we're going to have with him. Otherwise, we're going to get into the Heisman conversation, especially with Florida quarterback Kyle Trask, who has been making a push as of late to be potentially in one of the top three or four spots of that conversation. I think deservedly so. After that, we'll go into some deep discussion about Jim Harbaugh and whether or not his tenure in Ann Arbor with the Wolverines may be coming to an end after this season, depending on how they perform. Um, Trailing off of that, we'll get into a bit of NFL talk on today's episode Mostly about the NFC North, I think, with the Lions game-winning field goal over the Redskins and then obviously a big Monday night football win for the Vikings over the Chicago Bears. So super excited about all this episode's content. And thank you for watching if you're watching on YouTube. Otherwise, listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. If you've got a place where you listen to podcasts, I'm pretty sure that we're on it. I'm not going to guarantee anything, but I think there's a pretty good chance that we are on that. But enough of that. Let's get right into this awesome conversation. Joining us today is a redshirt freshman quarterback from Michigan Tech, former Dream Team quarterback at Swan Valley High School in Saginaw, Michigan, Alex Freeze. What's going on, Alex? How's it going? Doing all right, man. It's uh, It's been, you know, we try to keep it uplifting and positive here on the podcast, but I, I can't tell you, man, this campus feels pretty empty. Everybody's heading home for break. Football's been shut down. How are you doing? Um, I'm, I'm trying to uh, keep the same positive attitude that you're keeping. You know, it's been definitely a... Uh, a hurdle each week uh, with all the new changes going on throughout, I mean, mainly the GLIAC. Um, but, yeah, just trying to, like, survive and adapt with every challenge, especially with school. I feel like that's how you have to approach it because if you don't, then you're literally just going to let all of that kind of drag you down. And I've seen some guys just get so um, – you don't have a lot going on besides just football and school. And to get football taken away from you like that, I know you guys have gone through some of that stuff too. If you just let that get, you know, get a hold of you, and it, it really is the downhill downhill spiral. So I'm glad that hopefully we'll get some football here in the spring. I'm sure you feel the same way. Absolutely, yeah, I'm very excited. Yeah, it sounds like we're gonna have up to five. They said scrimmages or games played. I mean, what does that mean for you? Looking at it, I'm not really sure what to make of that so far. Um, I'm excited, honestly, for every opportunity. Um. We were lucky enough this fall. Um, I'm not really sure how the situation was at Northern, but we were lucky enough to have like 15 padded practices this fall. Gotcha. Um, so really, it's just a, it's a great time to um, install a lot of, you know what I mean? Especially for um, my class and, and your class uh, specifically. Um, it's it's obviously a strange introduction to football, but uh, yeah, oh it's yeah, definitely gonna it's definitely gonna be a. Uh, almost a, like a, a good opportunity if you want to look at it like that, um, just to kind of transition to that college experience and that college level of play. Yeah, like you said, like it's not the normal transition that somebody might get, but it is still the college transition. I know for us, uh, new offensive coordinator here at Northern, so it's not just install, obviously, for my class, but it's an install for our whole program, which is making this Go just on. a little bit um, more difficult. <laughs> uh, you say you got like 15 padded practices in? Yeah, we got 15 padded practices in. That, that's pretty good, man. You're doing better than us. I think we got uh, about a week in where we actually had the full pads on and we got to go um, suit it up before we were shut down indefinitely. But you guys oh, had wow. to deal with, what was it like two different stints of being shut down as a program? Yeah, we were uh, we were definitely lucky enough to squeeze those 15 practices in right at the right, uh, the right time. But um, before that, we had, I want to say, yeah, two or three shutdowns 
throughout this entire fall semester and like, yeah. like whether that was like lifting or just position meetings was affecting but yeah it was definitely a an interesting interesting week every week yeah seriously now what would you do when you guys shut down i know you're living in a, in a house is, is that on campus um no we're living in hancock actually it's okay across uh players. yeah okay sweet good stuff what would you guys uh you guys just like all i guess just chilling out in the house right was there much to do up there during the lockdown or what um, honestly, I haven't even had, um, like, an actual class on campus this semester. Um, Serious. All of mine got switched right away, yeah. So I've been, I've been, uh, bunkered down in the house for a while, but, uh, we, we keep, uh, we keep each other accountable for everything, um, especially with, like, with workouts and stuff like that. Um, trying to get, like, trying to make the most of whatever situation we're in at the house. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. Um, I think I want to talk about with you is that, I mean, we're talking about here how our schools just, our two schools, only two schools in the UP about what, like two, two and a half hours apart. And we've had these very different yep. experience so far with COVID. And we've got all these schools downstate in Michigan that are going through, you know, the same pandemic, but very much different situations. I know Grand Valley went through a whole school-wide shutdown, but their football program for some reason was still able to practice, even though their school was on lockdown. Yeah. I mean, for me, it makes me a little bit frustrated, obviously, because I haven't had these opportunities and we all just want to get out there and put the pads on and play. I mean, what do you think about this? And I just, I think it's so interesting. I guess interesting is a very nice way of putting it, that these other schools yeah. are able to go out there and practice. Even uh, Northwood had their last practice, I believe, yesterday, and they've been practicing almost completely up until this point. Like, what kind of difference does that make between a program like that and us who, um, you know, maybe only got a week or two of practice in? Yeah, I mean, it definitely is an odd situation. Um, I remember listening to one of your earlier podcasts and you were talking about how hey. how it's so weird that we're both, like, you know what I mean? Like you said, UP schools, which were all, already pretty isolated from the rest of the state, but yeah. those guys downstate are, are able to do that. I mean, yeah, like you said, um, definitely interesting yeah, <laughs> in a interesting. nice way. But, yeah, um, I know at Michigan Tech, at least, we're doing a really good job of um, – testing uh like a certain percentage of our football team yep. every week just so we stay on top of all the COVID cases and all like the contact tracing and, and things of that nature but um I can definitely uh I can definitely say that I, I expect or not expect uh I know a lot of the schools down state that really haven't been on top of that stuff yeah I uh that might actually bring up a good point because um, obviously if you don't test for it, you're not going to show any results. So, um, I can't speak on, you know, the processes of what they do, but that could definitely be a factor. I know we did some surveillance testing up here as well. About 30 of our guys were getting tested every week to make mm -hmm. sure that that wasn't going, um, you know, rampant on the football team, especially when you have yeah. so many guys on a roster, but like going in and out of football and like building your hopes up and like trying to get, you know, uh, like some momentum going with practice, especially with the new state order that went out that's going to shut, shut us down as of today when we're recording this yep. on Wednesday for three weeks. Now, I don't know if you've heard, but the plan is for high school football, who is in the regional semifinal round, I believe, is for them to continue playing and continue their postseason after the, that three-week period. What is that going to be like for those teams? That's definitely going to be um... – I mean, I give a lot of credit to those high schoolers right now for sticking in it and uh, trying to like be as positive as possible because that'd be tough, you know. What I mean, especially in senior season, yeah. I'm um, having to bounce around your schedule like that. But um, I mean, man, if they pick that up after three weeks, they're going to be playing uh, <laughs> late into the year with some football games, which will Seriously. be pretty interesting. But it'll also be uh, uh, pretty significant for like the rest of their life, just having that memory with them. No, that's true. I was thinking too. Um, you know, if we get 
especially some of those teams that are more north up in Michigan, they're going to get some heavy snow here pretty soon as we roll towards like the beginning of December. They might just have to start holding all these games in like Ford Field or other indoor facilities, like maybe running out some college facilities. Like there are so many logistical things that go into this. I think it's just going to be a nightmare for them to to finish it out. And I really do. I really hope that they finish out this season. Um, unfortunately, my high school is out of it. I don't. Is Swan Valley still in uh, making a run for it or no? No, they uh, they lost. I think first round of playoffs actually. Uh, same with yeah. us. Same with us. It's uh, it's it was, that was a tough one to watch. Uh, my brother's a uh, senior right now at Lake Orion. Okay. But, um, you talking about like how difficult it is for that senior class right now, and it, it's only going to get more difficult. And it is right now as far as like recruiting goes, and that's like a two way street with the colleges. How are colleges going to handle? Being able to recruit, I saw a great tweet today from one of the kids who's a senior. I forget where he goes to school, but I thought it was a great tweet. And he said, how are we supposed to make a 40-year decision, right, a college and onward yeah. on your career, whatever, yep. without having an official visit? Yeah, that is that is really crazy to think about. Because, um, honestly, that's what, like, sold it for me at Michigan Tech is, if like, when I made that official visit, that's when I was set on. Yeah. You know what I mean? Going to Tech. Because, like, in – the earlier stages of my recruitment, um, Michigan Tech wasn't like super high up on my radar, which is crazy to think about now. Seriously, but yeah, that official visit and just being on campus and being around, you know what I mean, your future possible future teammates and and the culture, um, that's a huge part of recruitment. It's, like yeah. it was for me at least, and I know a lot of other guys can attest to that. So that's definitely um, definitely a, a crazy decision for these guys that are thinking about playing in the future. I think that's just wild. And I, I can attest to that too. I mean, I had a great time with you guys when I was up there on my official. You guys, you guys were awesome. And that's coming from a dude who's, you know, at the rival school in the UP. Yeah. But I just think that's such a unique situation. I don't think we're going to get really anything like that. And I think it's, no. I don't want to say it's a miracle, but I think it's um, pretty darn close that we've had this much of a college football season and the NFL that's going on right now. I feel like that's just kind of grounded us and brought us back to at least a little bit of normalcy you know coming out of COVID and like yeah. all these things have been shut down what is what has that been like for you to just sit on the couch or whatever and watch some football on uh you know Thursday through Monday yeah well it's been it's been tough for me and the, the guys at the house just as we're talking about it just doesn't feel like we're like actually like living in you know what I mean yeah football season I know it you know, I know it's it feels like a fake football season um but on the bright side of it we definitely have watched um more football than probably we ever have let's go considering that that we've been playing you know what I mean Every fall you play football for, you know what I mean, and that takes up all of your time. Yeah. You never really get a, a, a true chance to watch, like, the Monday night games, Thursday night games, and especially uh, Saturdays. Yeah. So uh, it's been definitely a good opportunity Um, catch up on some football, check out some NFL action as well. Hell yeah. No, I love that. That's kind of funny. Like, watch you've watched more football now than ever just because of a lack of football. You're getting more football. Yep. This is a weird little, like, paradox, I guess. But, yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know, man. Who do you ride with in the NFL? Um, I, I'm I'm always a Detroit guy. Me and Hunter Chambers. I uh, will sit on the couch every Sunday. There and, we uh, go. Watch games start to finish. Yeah, I mean the last the hot topic for us the last couple weeks on uh, D1 Rejects here the podcast has been Patricia and not only Patricia but the ownership of the Lions, obviously the Quins and the Fords and. Uh, just their ineptitude to make gut decisions. I mean, where do you stand with that and uh, how this season's turning out so far? Well, it's, it's always pretty interesting. I mean, it's a, it's a nail-biter each week. <laughs> yes, it is, is a nail-biter. Is he going to be there next week or not? So, yeah, it's definitely oh, man. Always, always interesting in Detroit. Oh, dude. Again, interesting 
is such a nice way of putting it. <laughs> such a nice way of putting it. Yeah, man. But Alex, I appreciate your time, man. Thank you for uh, stopping and chat with me for a bit. And uh, hey, stay safe down there. Have a great holiday, man. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. You too, buddy. No problem. I'll see ya. All right. Well, thank you, Alex. Uh, great having him on the show. We've had that's our second guy from Michigan Tech now that's been on the show. So always a pleasure to have those guys up from Houghton on. But let's get right into some college football talk. And the headline for me and for a lot of the country, at least the Midwest here, the Big Ten, which is the focus of this area, has been Harbaugh and his ineptitude. You like that? Ineptitude? His ineptitude to bring this Michigan Wolverine team to any sort of prowess, to any sort of big-time game where they really could prove themselves as a program because they've been good. And I, I use good purposefully. They've been good for a large number of years, but they have not been great. And I think now... The argument turns from, okay, there's no more excuses as he's growing the program or trying to bring them in the right direction because he's been there since 2015. These excuses are running thin because he's had the chance to get multiple recruiting classes in the door. And now when you have all the guys there that you recruited and you pride yourself on that recruiting and you have all of these talented draft or draft classes, excuse me, but college classes, there's not a whole lot of room to squeeze out of anything anymore. Exactly. And I think biggest thing that I saw was he's consistently gotten great recruiting classes amongst the Big Ten and even the nation. Yeah. And I think when you look at that and just what he's accomplished, it's kind of just his downfall and what he's done with the program. And, I mean, he's done amazing recruiting. And, I mean, he's gotten to them to, uh, I don't know how many 10-win seasons. But if you want to stay there, you know, you're just going to be kind of that program that's always like, I mean, they're good, but they're not like playoff. Great. Yeah. They're not playoff contention type teams. And that's the biggest thing that what Ann Arbor wanted. They wanted teams that were going to take them to a Big Ten championship. They wanted a team that was going to, you know, make a playoff run. And he just hasn't been able to do that. He hasn't been able to beat in his to be his rival Yeah, in Ohio State. So um, I think when you look at that with just the wide range of, great recruiting classes that he's had. And like you said, since 2015, this is all of his recruiting classes right now. Yeah. This is, this is all him. He's There's had no the time There's no more past regime. There's yeah, exactly. There's no like kids that are still under the old mentality type deal. Like it is, this is all his recruiting. So I think when you look at that and just what he's accomplished thus far, it is kind of like disappointing to Michigan fans at least. Very. And thankfully we are not in that boat, but you said it. 0-5 versus Ohio State, 3-3 three and three versus Michigan State. So, yes, he's beaten Michigan State, but not consistently. They're at 500. And that, if you would have looked at that and looked at the records from those two teams over the last six seasons, there's no way that should be even be 3-3. Three and three. But they show up somehow. Even this year was a great example of how Michigan State yeah, exactly. just showed up. They're obviously a very mediocre team. They still show up and beat Michigan. I don't understand how. I'm not complaining in, in any aspect. I'm definitely not complaining. They're 2-12 and 12 against top 10 teams in his tenure. That is something that the great coaches, they get over that hump and they get over it you know, soon because if they yeah, don't, exactly. then they're out of a job. So according to USA Today, Harbaugh has the fourth highest salary in college football behind Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney, and Ed Orgeron at LSU. So those are great coaches and those are ones that have gotten over that hump. But not only that, they've stayed there. They're all national champions and their programs respectively are the best in the country. Yeah, Harbaugh's name does not belong with the rest of those three. I mean, obviously, it's only there because of how much he's getting paid. And yeah. 
Do you think that just comes from him coming from that NFL experience with the Ravens? Do you think that, or not the Ravens, excuse me, 49ers? 49ers. Um, I get the brothers mixed up. But do you think that is why that, that large sum of money comes for that? And just like, obviously, his, he's a great coach. We know yeah. that. Um, but he just hasn't been able to bring this program there. Why are they paying him that much? Uh, I think originally, like the original contract reasons for that was just because he was coming from the 49ers. He did take them to the Super Bowl. Um, obviously, they lost to the Ravens, yep. but um, he did take them to the Super Bowl. There was just a ton of hype surrounding his name and trying to bring him back because, you know, he was uh, a alumni from there. Exactly. He, he did yeah. play there. He I did. mean, there's the obvious choice if you're – Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he, he was around the program for a long time, and I think just everybody from, like, the U of M fan base really wanted him there at, at that time. And they knew that he was going to bring in a ton of revenue. His recruiting was going to be good. It's very true. But, you know, they couldn't necessarily predict that he, how well he was going to do or not. But I think that was the original reason why he got paid so much. It was just a little bit more hype than um, quality when they were thinking about his contract. But they – obviously, you can just see how it showed up now. Um, he hasn't really produced that much and not even close to what he's getting paid. He, he shouldn't be yeah. getting paid that much. Um because when you talk about the guys like Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney, and Ed Orgeron, um, I think they all have something under their name, and that's a national championship. And I just don't think his tenure deserves the fourth highest salary in college football. No way. And I think what's super interesting is we've seen uh, – you don't typically see from the NFL level to the college level from a coaching standpoint that jump. You don't see that very often because, yeah. you know, professional down to – what would really be compared to like a minor league, I guess, in college. Mm -hmm. But I think it's so interesting how exclusive those coaching circles are. You either come up in the NFL coaching scene or you come up in the college coaching scene and you don't see a whole lot of interlap, you know, yeah, between those circles. I think the one exception that you would see between those circles is if you have a guy who is like very close with and they've coached together in the past and he yeah. gets a head coaching job or coordinator job at some program, yeah. you're going to bring your boys and you're going to go fill in that spot at whatever program you're at. You just yeah. don't see it very often. I guess the most recent case would be uh, Matt Rule at, yeah. uh, at Carolina from Baylor. And then and, uh, Cliff um, Kingsbury. Cliff Kingsbury is another good example. I know with Matt Rule specifically, when he came into Carolina, they gave him a, I want to say like a six or seven year deal. So yeah. not like he's going to be around for a long time in that program. Yeah. And so that was a large reason of getting rid of, obviously the untimely retirement of Luke Keekley was not something that he wanted. Yeah. Um, but uh, getting rid of Cam Newton and guys who have been in the program for a long time, I yeah. shouldn't say program, but more the franchise really that have been in that franchise exactly. and are established. Cam Newton, um, it was believed by a lot of people to be in the later years of his career, although he has proven, I think a lot of people wrong. It's not the season that we may have accept, expected from Cam Newton and the Patriots, but yeah. um, with him fighting COVID and some other things, um, not to get too off topic here, but Matt Rule has has started to make that transition. It'll it'd be interesting to see, I think, in two years' time, maybe one, but I think more so like two years' time. I think he could in one to year. See. I think he could next year. But you do? Yeah, I, I think he could. I think um, he's showing promise in Carolina, and yeah. I think he's made the correct moves. Um but I do think max two years he will make that, that turnaround that Carolina is looking for. That will be deciding like in two years' time from now to see if he's actually like rooted in the NFL scene. I think that will be super interesting. But now, say Harbaugh is actually gone and out of Ann Arbor for good, who is the guy that we picked to be the next coach for the Wolverines? I know that Luke Fickle's name has been thrown around pretty often. Right now, the head coach for Cincinnati, who is number seven in the country, yeah. I believe. So... 
from from one standpoint, you think coming out of the American Athletic Conference to the Big Ten, that's technically a jump, yeah. right? From, from a conference standpoint sure. into a Power Five conference, the program like Michigan, um, but his team's doing pretty well. Like, yeah, like that's that's definitely. another thing you have to look at, and um, there are so many things that go into this a decision like this, a business decision outside of just a football program depending on how long he's been in Cincinnati, maybe yeah. his family's got roots in Cincinnati, all these other things. And he's obviously um, doing very well with that Bearcat program. I don't Oh, for sure. It depends. I mean, if he's going to get paid the fourth highest salary in college football, it'd be hard to turn down. Exactly. And I think that is one of the biggest things when you look at, um, you know, job choices with coaching. And that's, that was shown with uh, Mel Tucker, I think. Yeah, you know, it was. He was doing good with Colorado. And yeah, then... I mean, he wasn't definitely not to this level of success yeah, that exactly. Fickle has right now. But he, you know, he was he was turning Colorado around. Yeah. He was turning their recruiting around, and he was starting to build a program that could potentially become something really well. And uh, you, after he had done so well, try, like building, he was still in that process. State was like, okay, look, we're going to offer you this amount of money, and if you want to take it, you can come over here and yeah. you can start your, you know, business over here. And he was like, okay, then I will. And we saw the but, backlash from that too, though. A exactly. lot of the Colorado players felt like they had quite literally been stabbed in the back. Like yeah, that he just for left. Sure. You know what I mean? And they, like, without warning or but, anything like that. you know, when you look at recruiting and everything like that, you have to take everything with a grain of salt, and that's just how it is in you know, college football business. It's, it is a business, and it is. but you you can't knock anybody for trying to feed their family or no, anything like agreed. that. No, agreed. So that's agreed. I think when you look at that, if one of your coaches leaves, you can't knock them for doing anything like that. It is what they're doing with their life. You wouldn't want anybody to make to knock you for making a financial decision in your life. So. Yeah, like I, the amount of coaches that leave to go to different schools are vastly um, underneath the amount of kids that transfer. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. kids who. Um, were previously committed to a school and entered that transfer portal. We see it now, especially at the Division Two level, more prominently than ever. Yeah. We just got another uh, a Nickelback from Western Illinois, an FCS program mm-hmm. who's transferring to Northern. Um, so that's our second guy from Western Illinois that's transferred over, and just guys at that level who are not getting either the playtime or uh, whatever the the case may be at that level, yeah. and they want to come to a school where they're going to be the guy and they're going to play. That's all you know. More power yeah, exactly. to you. More power to you. Um, but getting out of out of that scene, I don't know. Is there? I, I couldn't really think of anyone else. But I, I know I'd heard Fickle's name uh, thrown around a bit for that Michigan job, but I, I don't really think of anyone yeah. who comes in and fits that role immediately for them. They don't have the obvious choice like a Harbaugh who's already. Yeah, you know, they definitely don't have an obvious choice like they did before. But I do think what U of M does have is just the money that they are willing to pay them. <laughs> yeah, guy. yeah, and that's going to be the biggest thing. And I don't think they're going to have a tough time finding one for sure. No, and um, let's transition over a little bit here. Talk about the Heisman conversation so far in the college football scene. And a guy who's really come into this conversation in the last few weeks, I think he probably deserved to be in it from the beginning, but he was not. You know, for whatever reason, yeah. that may be yet to be determined. Kyle Trask out of Florida led the Gators to a 63-35 to win over Arkansas. And this is what I love. He was playing against the dude who used to start over him, Felipe Franks, yeah. who was the quarterback for Florida um, in years past, just last year. Right, I uh, want to say or maybe, maybe two years before. ago. Yeah, but I was gonna say yeah, I think he, Kyle Trask was playing last. He's year. in his last. Felipe Franks is in his last year now. But Trask threw for six touchdowns, three hundred fifty yards, and puts on a clinic for the guy that he used to watch from the sidelines. Yeah. I think that that storyline is hilarious. Yeah, I think exactly. that's so funny. Um, but Felipe Franks, he still had a game too. Um, but Kyle Trask is up there, and we know we talked about ETN last week and how the running back was the only non-quarterback right now in the mm-hmm. race and how he had that off game. 
and against Notre Dame, and now it's it's really just back to quarterbacks, which for me is like, yeah, like that's usually how it goes. It's just so bland. It's so yeah, boring. It it, it's nice to see other positions represented. How long do you think it will be until we get another defensive Heisman? It, like that would be uh, to get one to win. I have no idea. I think oh, Chase Young true. had a pretty good chance last year. That's um, true. But to get one to win the Heisman, I don't know. It's already been so long. The last one was no. Desmond Woodson. Howard. Or was it Howard? No. Well, or, would it be Woodson? It might, yeah, it probably would be. It would be Woodson, right? Because yeah. I think it's the only. That is still winner. the only. Yeah, I the think so. Winner, yeah. Yeah. But even a candidate, I mean, that just the candidates we get are so few and far in between. But anyways, back to, back to Trask. He uh, going into that game against Arkansas, um, who Arkansas had the second highest ranked pass defense in the SEC, and Trask was without number one target and tight end Kyle Pitts. Kyle mm-hmm. Pitts, have you watched Kyle Pitts in, uh, at Florida? Yeah, he's done pretty good. He's insane, right? He's a tight end, but I, th- I think he's listed as a tight end, but he moves like a wide receiver and he's built like a like a large wide receiver. I don't know. He's a very he's a hybrid. He looks like Noah guy. Fant to me. That's, yeah. that's the most comparable guy. He just is one of. He's just an oversized receiver. He is. He's huge, and he can block. So, like when you get on the outside, he's blocking for you. But anyways, he was without Kyle Pitts, and he still put up those numbers with Florida, who's very talented. Um, one of the top five, top ten teams in the country right now. Mm-hmm. I know they're somewhere up there. He has made a name for himself. But the other Heisman right now, ESPN has Mac Jones from Alabama leading the Heisman conversation right now with fifty-five votes. He, he is just ahead of Justin Fields from Ohio State. And Trevor Lawrence coming off of that COVID quarantine is in third. And we'll be back from this weekend. Um, they're playing Florida State, so expect that to be an absolute uh, route of Florida State. Yeah. And then Ch- Kyle Trask, who we're talking about, is at number four. Zach Wilson from BYU is, has dropped a bit. He's at number five. It's not like they've lost. You know, Zach Wilson continues to play his caliber of football, which is insane. But they just... Yeah. It's just their strength of schedule or what? I, I think that's going to be what it is, and I think that's, you know, what the Heisman um, race is going to, you know, look out to be. And that's also with, like, the AP poll, and that's they're going to look at their strength of schedule, who they've been playing, and, um, you know, Zach Wilson just hasn't been playing the caliber of players that Mac Jones has. So yeah. that's really going to factor in, uh, you know, the voting and, um, you know, the race in general. Yeah, when you get ranked teams every weekend, Justin Fields, let's look ahead here. Ohio State's got Indiana, who's currently number nine in the country this weekend. And I still don't think it's going to be a close game. I don't even think that Indiana is in the same league as Ohio State, even though there's only um, like five spots in between where they are in the rankings. I don't even think they're in the same league of football, the same caliber of football. And that's why it's so crazy that the top four teams, I guess you can make an argument for like top five they're in a league of their own, and they're like nobody is even close to catching them right now in mm-hmm. college football. I don't see there's any way that Indiana beats them. Uh, if they do, more power to them. But Justin Fields in that offense and their defense has stepped it up in the last couple weeks. They just they look they look so good, and Indiana has not proven themselves. That overtime win against Penn State, Week One. Remember that overtime win where Michael Penix Jr. dives to the pylon and OT. I was going for two, right? Yeah. And they and they win that game against Penn State, who's been um, such a powerhouse. I think they were like number number five or eight in the country last year, just yeah, last year, they, they were that good on a prominent, you know, national level. They're Owen four for the first time. And I don't even know. It was like the sixties or something yeah, like that. Like that program with uh, James Franklin, right? Head coach. Yeah. He, um, by the way, a little side story here. When I was, uh, I played against some kids in high school who were getting recruited by Penn state. James Franklin flew in on a helicopter to watch these kids play. Yeah. Just flew in and landed. And then, you know what? 
halftime, game was a blowout, got in at halftime, took off, we out. Nice. <laughs> that is sick, dude. Yeah, that's well, that that's what you're going to get when you're James Franklin. That's so sweet. I mean, it's it's been awesome to play against guys like that. I know I was watching the Michigan-Michigan um, State game, and when I'm looking out on the field between Michigan and Michigan State to say that I've played against, I think, six guys on the field in high mm. school, I was like, that's so sweet. Yeah, like, it is. Just to be able to say I, I played against those guys and like even won a couple games against them, like that's so cool. But to get back on topic here, back into the Big Ten, um, Penn State, what is going on? I don't, I really don't know what's going on. Um, and they're Indiana. Back to them, they're gonna they're gonna get blown out by Ohio State. Do you see that going any other way? They beat Michigan State twenty four nothing last week, um, but Michigan State has shown that they're a very mediocre team, especially when they turn over the ball. It just magnifies their mistakes. Yeah, exactly. Um, do you see that game going any other way than Ohio State by a million? Um, I don't know. I don't. I definitely could see it being close, but either way, I think I don't see in any chance that Indiana beats them. I don't know. It's just the deficit that's probably going to change. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. I think that's fair. Um, Wisconsin, they did not miss a stride. Two weeks of no football operations, obviously three weeks without that starting quarterback, redshirt freshman Graham Mertz. And that's why they deserve to be one of the best teams in the country. If you can go without having any football operations, we're talking about not even being in the facility, no lifting, no conditioning, no player personnel, anything in the building. The building is shut down for two weeks because of that COVID scare they had in Wisconsin. Um, That's in Madison, Wisconsin, right? In Madison. Um, That's why they're one of the best teams in the country, and they have a big-time game this weekend, too. Northwestern, who is at number 19 in the country. Um, Northwestern has had a, a much better season than years past. Yeah. And I think they deserve their ranking where they're at because of teams that they've beat. Um, but I don't think, again, I think Wisconsin is becoming off of that two week stint without playing football. I think they deserve better than number 10 right now, just because they haven't been playing. They don't have any, you yeah. know, as much games and much film under their belt for the AP poll to take into consideration. Uh, where do you see that game going? Uh, obviously, I, th- I see Wisconsin coming out on top. I think West Northwestern, like you said, is doing a lot better than they have in the years past. But um, they still haven't done that bad. I mean, last year was, you know, a pretty bad showing for them. But I want to say the year before they made it to a uh, Big Ten championship against Ohio State. Yep, um, that sounds right. So that was Jonathan Taylor, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, Wisconsin, um, obviously, coming off of two weeks where you are not playing any football, not in the weight room or anything. Um, just how much, like, fatigue and, like, just no timing-wise, too, just, you know what I mean? Yeah. You're going to lose so much gains that you were making in the weight room gains. that you were making in, like, you know, conditioning, um, you know, getting your stamina up. You're just going to lose all of it in two weeks. Like, you have no idea how much you lose in even just one week. Yeah, that's true. Just going back to into that's the true. weight room after one week is still just – you see how far behind you're – Yeah, like we, you we work out on our own being shut down and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. If we had a team workout tomorrow or, like, in a couple hours, we'd go in there and we'd get our butts kicked. Oh, for like, sure. Like, we'd be so out of shape and we wouldn't even know. Like, I go – you know, we can go run and lift and do whatever you want, but if you're not doing it with your team and, like, with a coach there who's motivating you and pushing you yeah. to – It's to, just a different tempo and a different oh, feeling. so much so. So much so. I want to talk, though, about Pat Fitzgerald, the head coach at Northwestern, who's been there since 2006, by the way. I didn't realize he's been there that long. Like, his, that's his baby, like his program at Northwestern. Yeah. Um, and another side note, their new practice facility, $274 million right on Lake Michigan there. Oh, it's sweet. Oh, my goodness. I was at the first camp 
it, since the construction of that, I was the first camp in that building. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- I unfortunately didn't walk away with scholarship offer, obviously, because mm-hmm. I'm here. Um, but, <laughs> but jokes aside, like, that place is incredible. And that campus is incredible. They have um, some of the academically best student athletes in the country. That school is very rigorous. Um, but yeah. Pat Fitzgerald, good guy. I shook his hand at the camp. He, uh, you know, I, I made a good play. I think he gave me a attaboy, a little slap on the butt as I went by, something like that. Um, but I'll, I'll never forget that. He's a good dude. It's great about him on the sidelines. He's a player's coach. We talked to Coach Robinson, who's very much that same mindset to be one of the guys with your teammates and all of that. And he's joking, mingling with those guys. But as soon as that whistle blows, he's back to the hard ass of a coach. He's like the dude. He's going to get in your face and he's going to make you go past whatever boundary that was or like push past whatever. He's going to make sure that you are, you know, helping the program as much as you can and you're breaking all those boundaries. But he's been a great coach for them. And I think this year for him, obviously there's a huge connection there. He's been there for, this is his 14th year. Like imagine being at a division one program for 14 years. Um, but they have not had the success that would warrant, I think a 14 year tenure for a guy like that, but it'll be interesting to see, uh, this year and to see that he's proving that the program is heading in the right direction, because if they don't have proof of that in the next couple of years, we could see him possibly ending up either somewhere else or just retiring because that's a, he's had a long uh, career coaching, um, at a bunch of different spots. So that'll be interesting to see where he heads up or ends up, excuse me. Let's get into some NFL talk from this weekend. And the number one story storyline from the National Football League is Alex Smith and his recovery and his comeback to the now Washington football team. It's kind of funny when he left, they were the Redskins. Now they're the Washington football team. But uh, they played the Lions this weekend, and it was a very Lion-esque game, being up 20-3. to three, Yeah. And just, just kind of toying with the fan base, with the league, to see, you know, maybe we'll blow it, maybe we won't. We'll figure it out. You know, and they, eventually they did win it. Um, 30 to 27. But before we get into talking about that game, let's talk about Smith and the timeline of his recovery that brought him back to the NFL. So grab a drink, take a seat. This was a long one. November 2018, the then Washington Redskins, like I said, are at the top of the NFC East at six and three behind Alex Smith when he sacked against the Texans and suffered a quote spiral and compound fracture to his tibia and fibula in his right leg. I do not know. What that means, I know the fibula is one of the worst bones to break yeah. in your body and one of the most painful and one of the most difficult, I believe, right? Yeah. Just to, to actually break it, um, but to suffer multiple different types of fractures to both tibia and fibula, it just sounds horrendous. And it was, it definitely was. Smith had to undergo a total of 17 surgeries. Originally, it wasn't supposed to be that many, but he had an infection in his leg that complicated the initial procedure. And then I guess it just turned into a snowball effect almost of just procedure after procedure after surgery. And he was finally seen in September of 2019. I actually remember watching this walking without crutches. And shortly after that ESPN released what they called project 11, which was a documentary about his recovery in uh, May of 2020. So that was kind of right before his return to actually playing football. And we got to see, um, almost a Michael Jordan-esque last dance, but, like, without the actual playing. It was just, like, his road to recovery. And I think they did a good job of showing not only, like, physically this dude was out of it, but, like, mentally, like, what you have to do to even stay, like, within your own head and, like, have the perseverance to actually come back to sport. I saw kind of, like, a similar documentary, and there was a – Kobe Bryant documentary yeah. back when he tore his Achilles. Yep. And it was like the documentary was like just strictly like his mentality going 
going about that recovery with that surgery because you know the Achilles is another you know back breaking injury. Obviously not nearly as to the extent, yeah, like, life dangerous as this, but um, it was kind of like the same uh, just mentality showing what these guys have to go through, especially because this is how they feed their families. So yeah, um, just you know showing that rigor and um, good work. Yeah, exactly. Good just work. what they have to go through um, on that day-to-day basis trying to recover from those types of injuries. Yeah, and Kobe's mentality obviously is put on like a pedestal above exactly. everybody else. Just second to none. Seriously. Um, but And I think that's why that was awesome to see uh, from Alex Smith's perspective is he had something very similar. Obviously, like you said, totally different cases. Like this dude was potentially about to lose his life and exactly. his mindset to you know, persevere and come through this. He finally makes it back to the field, and he was the number two quarterback for the Washington football team after over 600 days away from the game. We were just talking about Wisconsin and how it would suck to be away from the game from two weeks, barring yeah. any you know life-threatening injuries. 600 days away from the game on a, at a professional level, and he comes back on October 11th, and he got his first start this past Sunday against my Detroit Lions. Um, so he was number two behind was it Dwayne Haskins, right? Dwayne Haskins. Yeah. So since who since has been benched for, yeah. you know, for Alex Smith, who got the start on Sunday and, you know, to tell that whole story, I think that's just, that's just awesome. He said he wanted to come back because of his love for the game, but mostly to show his kids how important it was to bounce back and overcome adversity in life, man. That's a big, yeah, that's that powerful. Is, take a second. Like, holy cow. Yeah, exactly. Like his mindset. And I've, I've seen a couple different interviews and sit downs with him talking about his injury and his recovery and he has just said repeatedly, like, how am I supposed to expect my kids to, you know, not give up or like just how are you just supposed like, to tell your kids yeah. and look them in the eyes and say that if you didn't do the exact same thing. Exactly. And I'm sitting here. Part of me sitting here like, oh, yeah, he's got a great point. And the other part of me sitting here like, dude, you could have died. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like that's, I feel like that's set the... <laughs> like homie doesn't want to do his homework in third grade. Like he's he didn't break his fibula. Like yeah. he's going to be all right. But like. No, I think I think that's awesome, and that message is. Well, I think that kind of just great. goes. He, his kids are not going to have any excuses anymore. <laughs> I think kids that's are the, done. Yeah, like they just can't make any more excuses. Like, you know what? You don't want to do your homework. Well, you're not fighting for your life, so get back on it. Like, that's just the end. I'm of the sorry. Story. Did you have a spiral and compound fracture in your tibula and fibula? Yeah, honestly, they're no? they're not even going to need to say it anymore because they're just going to be like. All right, yep, I'll be back. <laughs> That's awesome. The bar, he just sets the bar unrealistically high for his Yeah, kids. exactly. Now they're just like, they, they don't even need to make any more excuses because they'll just do it right away. <laughs> you know who didn't care about his comeback story? <laughs> the, the biggest, yeah, Matt Prater. You know who didn't give a crap about Alex Smith's comeback story? Matt freaking Prater, baby. Yeah. The Lions, Patricia, was like, you know what? I'm going to piss off all these Detroit fans even more. Let's blow this 17-point lead in this game against a team who has no business even playing with us, being on the same field as us, the Lions. You know what? Matt Prater. Matt Prater doesn't care. Game-winning field goal. He's the NFC Special Teams Player of the Week, which I think is the 22nd time in his career that he's gotten that honor. Dude's just insane. I think it was funny. I was watching the Pat McAfee show, my favorite, favorite show out of all shows. And they were talking about how uh, Ninja, actually, the Fortnite player, was calling yeah. out all these kickers in the NFL. And they were like, well, maybe Ninja, because Ninja is notoriously a huge Lions fan. Yeah. You know? And he's like, Ninja's really been spoiled 
Like, um, the kickers for the Lions over the past, I mean, <laughs> the best, like, three or four oh, yeah, regimes. we've had great kickers. That, like, potentially the best players and most consistent players on our team has been kickers. <laughs> yeah. So, like, Ninja's yes. been spoiled into thinking that kickers just make kicks all the time and that there's not a large process that goes into actually kicking a football. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, like, I don't know. I thought that was super funny. Like, we've just been so, like, the franchise has been terrible. But our, like kicking the game, our kicking game for some reason. Always consistent. It's there, man. Yeah, exactly. It's there. Um, but Washington was driving down the field late in the fourth quarter to set up that game-time field goal, even after five straight incompletions from Alex Smith. So he throws five balls that are not caught by his receivers, but the thing that kept that drive going was from was Desmond Trufant, yeah. who in the secondary, he had a pass interference call and a holding call on back-to-back plays. This is why the Lions lose games. Because even when the other team is not performing, we find a way to somehow, um, I don't know, give them a step up and help them out almost. Yeah, like, that's ridiculous. And he was, like, literally on the on the drive previous to that, Trufant was getting in one of the younger defensive backs' faces and just, like, yelling at him about a, a blown assignment or something like that. Yeah. Like, dude. Like, I, it's great to have him back, and I think he's made an impact on that defense. Mm-hmm. But his impact right there was terrible. Yeah. Like, that was bad. That was really difficult to watch. That was almost as bad as the, um, well, actually, no, it wasn't. But um, the, uh, like, the ghost face mask call on Rodgers to set up the. I don't know if it was as bad as that. No, it definitely was not as bad as that. But that has that same feeling to it. Or, like, at least until we won, thankfully. But, like, that had that same feeling to it. Yeah. Like, this is going to set up why we lose this game. Yeah. Uh, Matthew Stafford with an injured hand in that game. I think, I want to say it's, like, his thumb. I want to say was something about his thumb was was bothering him. I feel so bad for this dude. Like, <laughs> honestly, just like week in and week out, year in and year out, I just feel bad for staff. Dude is like injury prone, more so than so many others it's in the league. It's not even that. Like it's literally just and what he's had to go I'm surprised through. he hasn't had more. To be completely honest with you, just <laughs> what he's been going through, I'm surprised he hasn't had more. And I'm yeah. sure like. To him, an injured hand, like, everybody's like, oh, he's got an injured hand. He's like, dude, this is like... Dude. Somebody just he's accidentally like, almost, found out yeah, about this. He like, almost broke his back last year. Yeah, he exactly. He's to... just like, I don't know. That that dude is definitely built for that Detroit... It's like a little crazy. ...team. Yeah, exactly. It's but a little... I have a question for you. Something's off up there. If you think... So, say Patricia wins out for the rest of the season. <laughs> oh, my god! Just say... just No, just theoretically speaking, do you think he keeps his job? Just if he wins do you out. Think, do you think it is possible in any way, shape, or form for him to keep his job? Dude, if he wins out, like you're talking regular season or like in a, are we talking playoffs? Well, if they I don't a, even know if it's possible. For the, could they still make it to the playoffs? Yeah. I think the only way he keeps his job is Super they, Bowl. Dude. <laughs> Honestly, I think that's the only way. If they get a playoff win, Patricia's coming back. They actually. Maybe yeah, even with even a playoff Even just, just one. Just if, one. He could dude, win wild card, and then he'd probably yeah. still keep his job. If they got a playoff berth, there's a chance that he comes back. Just with any other ownership, I'd say no. But with our ownership and their inability to make <laughs> – their, their, their lack of an ability to make gut decisions. And they're just, just incompetent. Their incompetence. With any other ownership, I'd say no. But with ours, I would say, if dude, if he makes a playoff berth, they'd be like – well, you know, we can't fire a guy who's just brought our team to this give level him eight of years. success. Just give him eight years. Eight more? Yeah. It'd be ridiculous. Um, and but Stafford, you said, like, the amount of stuff that he's been through, we already saw that game-winning drive against the Falcons this year yeah. that I thought was going to spiral us into a streak of winning against, a, a, a you know, a bunch of mediocre teams. Unfortunately, that has not been the case. Yeah. Um, but Stafford, 
with that injured hand. I want to say it's a thumb. He made the most. He had 16 seconds after Detroit got the ball back um, with that field goal, the mm-hmm. game-tying field goal from the Redskins. couple quick completions in the middle of the field, off to the sideline, being cognizant of the clock, and then got them into that field goal range for the kick. I would say Stafford, Rodgers, and Brady are both very – actually, I would say Wilson too, but Wilson hasn't been making that case recently, which yeah. we will talk about a little later. But yeah. uh, I would say those guys really just know how to manage their two-minute drill. They know how to – you know, start it off with a quick completion and then just roll on. It's a mindset, just, man. Yeah, exactly. And they, it doesn't really even matter how much time they have. As long as they have time for, like, two plays, they're at least going to get a field goal out of it. And you just oh, know yeah. that as a defensive coordinator. So it's just kind of like, well, here it is. <laughs> well, here it is. Um, but, yeah, he has said uh, when in his little press conference after the game, he said that he was – when he picked up the ball and was, like, feeling the ball before they went out there, he just said something fell off in his hand. And the dude's probably got like something really messed up in his hand, but he was, like, <laughs> he's probably got like three fractures. Yeah, like a ligament is just like in two completely separate places. Yeah. Um, but he said something felt off in his hand, so hopefully, uh, T's and P's to Matthew Stafford. Hopefully he's back. Um, I mean he'll be back, but hopefully he's back at a hundred percent this yeah. weekend because you know without him, I don't know where this team's going. Maybe it would be a good thing because that would mean that Patricia will definitely be gone. But let's stay in the NFC North here. Monday Night Football: Vikings, Bears. Vikings get the win, 19-13. to 13. And uh, one thing I, th- I saw, actually, before we get into a lot of the game talk, the Monday Night Football crew, all of them chose the Vikings. And I, yeah. was, I was a little bit surprised. I mean, I, I chose the Vikings. I mean, I was riding with the Vikings, too. Like yeah. if, I, if I was a betting guy, I'd bet on the Vikings. But um, I'm not. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> just had to look at the camera. Just had I'm to not. make sure I'm not. But um, they all chose the Vikings, and I thought that could have been – I don't know if the curse is the right word, but just like a bad bad luck, bad karma for the Vikings. But they pull out that win, and the Bears' offense has never been more non-existent. Uh, I would like to say it has never been, but that is, <laughs> I don't think that's I don't think that's true. One hundred and forty-nine total yards of offense and no offensive touchdowns. Yeah, it's, wow, it's bad. But I did see this going the way it did. Yeah, I think the Vikings Agreed. just they. You know, the way that they were rolling and what they've been doing in the NFC North, it's just kind of been a statement to um, kind of what Mike Zimmer is as true. a coach. Very true. And I think it just goes to show you, because after the win against the Packers, um, you know, people were kind of saying they, they were putting Mike Zimmer on the hot seat for coaching. And okay. uh, I think Rodgers in one of his interviews says, it's just insane to me that Mike people think that Mike Zimmer is on on the hot seat because he's yeah. yeah because he he is a great coach and he he does know what he's doing but you know he I think he does need his players because um, you know when they were plagued with injuries or you know just people out when Dalvin Cook was out um, you know I think they he does do a lot with not even that great of players I mean obviously Dalvin Cook's a standout back but. Um, you know, Kirk Cousins, Cousins has, has, has his ups and downs, ups yeah. and downs and but now their receiver core is kind of leveled out. With yeah, some, exactly. So some they, big time targets, obviously so, with the addition of Justin Jefferson, but you've got a guy like yeah. Thielen who that one handed catch in the end zone was unreal. And he, that is just one dude that I don't think is going to be like compared on a that division team. two player. Yeah, exactly. Let's stop right there and appreciate he that. He played here. Division. Well, division. he didn't play okay, yeah, at our yeah. school, but he played against us at some point. Minnesota state. When. Correct. He Something played at, like he that, played at yeah. Minnesota State on a $500 scholarship. And he actually came, and one of his games was at Northern. And I know that because we've seen pictures of him in the Superior Dome yeah. where we play. And that's so cool. Like, that dude's unreal. 
I remember um, just scrolling through Instagram and then seeing a picture of him, and I was like, oh, like wait see. a minute. And then I saw, like, the wood in the background, yeah. and I was like, what the? F-? And then, Largest wooden dome in the world, baby. Yeah, exactly. And then I saw some banners, and I was like, there's no way. That's and it, then, dude. Yeah, that was, it was kind of sweet to look at that. But. That was super cool. Another target for them was uh, Rudolph, tight end. He had a, he had a big-time game for them. But mm-hmm. um, back to the Bears, the red zone. Gave them so many problems. They had to settle with a couple field goals. They started the game off with two field goals. Then they had that uh, really nice kick return from, uh, who was that? Cardell or something? I'm not sure. But the kick return coming out of halftime for the Bears was huge. And that was really the only reason they were in that game. They took the lead right there, like 13-9 to or something like that. Um, I want to say somewhere in that range. But if your offense just, just does not produce... This yeah. game could have been cracked open even more so, and it would have been if Dalvin Cook had the same impact that he's had the last two weeks. Yeah, exactly. So, and, I mean, his impact was very minimal. I mean, you you said you kind of saw how this one was going, but did you see Dalvin Cook uh, going into this with a, under 100 yards on 30 carries? Um, Obviously, it wasn't what I was expecting, but I do know that the Bears have a very good defense. And, yeah, they do. Um, That's not anything to knock about their team, and I think that's probably the strong suit of their team. And... um. I didn't think that they were going to be able to run all over them because I do think I would even say that the Bears have a better interior defense than the Packers do, even though the Packers have been doing way better. Okay. I think that's just attributed to their offense because the Bears' offense is nowhere near the Packers' offense. No, it is not. So, um, obviously, if you look at how Cook was going to play out against both of those teams, I would say the Bears he was going to have a little more trouble with um, just because – Front seven-wise. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So – but I did not think under 100 yards was going to be the ballpark for him. No, I did think so it was 30 be, carries. And yeah, that's what he that's got, the like, bigger thing. Is he got that a he ton of touches. Like, he was getting his helping of the rocks. Yeah. So I think just with that, I, I still think Dalvin Cook's going to be fine. And oh, yeah. Same with the Vikings. And I don't think Cook is necessarily even going to care because, you know, his team came out with the win and he's that's all he's going to worry about. That's he's going to go on the next week and still play with the electrifying, um, you know, ball play that he that he brings to the table so yeah um but obviously Kirk Cousins stepped up with um what you know he's been doing in the past and um just kind of filling in for Dalvin Cook you know um you know distributing it to all of his targets um he just had under 300 yards and then um you know testing the secondary of the Bears and I think that was the biggest thing for their win it was like a glimpse into the past of like the Kirk Cousins that we know and love that we've seen yeah in big time games, you and like he had a, that. He had, yeah, you like that. We like that. We like that win for the Vikings. Yeah. I mean, um, both of us do. But even from the Lions' standpoint, at the bottom of the NFC North. But looking at Kirk Cousins, and he had that streak for a long time of not winning on primetime television. Remember that? Yeah, and that was like the storyline was like was, Kirk cannot <laughs> win in primetime. So yeah. I think I don't know if this is the start of like getting over that hump for him and like just a strong streak for him. But I will say, for the Bears' defense, you know what helps? That would kind of help Dalvin Cook, you know, keep him in check. What? 11 guys in the field at all times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a big I think it's a big part. That might be one of the reasons why we did not see a 70-yard breakout run like he did um, against the Lions. Maybe. But uh, the Vikings started fast in that game. They really, never, they really never stepped off the gas. Like I said, that kick return for Chicago – um, if that doesn't happen, that could have been a totally different game. I think it would have been for sure. uh, a totally different game for them. Um, but you kind of hinted at it earlier. Let's talk a little bit about Russell Wilson and that yeah. MVP conversation. I, I mean, honestly, 
Um, Russell Wilson was showing a ton of promise in the beginning of the season. And he's I'm not gonna say that he's not playing yeah. at a high level because but his Russell team has kind of reflected that change too. Exactly. And I think you saw with the Seahawks, they started off, you know, undefeated. The kind of same trend with the Packers. Um they they started off really high and then they just lost a couple games that it was like, what, what's going on here? And they kind of leveled out, I think yeah, is the exactly. right word. And um yeah, they lost to the Cardinals, who has the other MVP candidate, and I think is that's Kyler fair. Murray. Um, I think after those last couple of weeks, that's a fair assessment. Yeah, exactly. And I think, actually, their losses have come to the quarterbacks that I think are higher than him on the MVP race, and I think that's Kyler Murray and Josh Allen. Interesting. Um, you Josh think Josh Allen, Allen is still above him? I, I would put Josh Allen above him. Obviously, that might be just a little reflection of I'm just a fan of Josh Allen. That's and I fair. I think he is a great player, and um, I like his demeanor. But um, – I would honestly put him above there um, just because of the transition that he's made in his career. This is his third year, yeah. and he's just progressed. And he's really put, like, the bills on his back. He's done a lot with them, obviously, with the help of Stephon Diggs um, as his, you know, main target and guy that's able to go up and make the plays for him. Um, but, I, you know, Josh Allen's got a big, powerful arm just like Patrick Mahomes and I think those guys are going to be, you know, the two quarterbacks that we're really going to be looking at um, in this MVP race. Yeah, shoot. Josh Allen's a great quarterback, but he also raised, well, he put, the, put together the last $15,000 for this, um, but they raised over $3,000 yeah. in response to, I want to say, uh, it was for a children's hospital, I believe, but it was for, it was in, uh, in, in, honor, of his, in honor of his grandmother yeah. who passed away. Um, so Bill's Mafia comes together $300,000. Yeah. And I think... That is something that obviously have one of the most passionate and just awesome, all around awesome fan bases in the world exactly. in Bills Mafia. And for him to have, I guess, earned their respect in a way, right? Like he's their dude and they embrace that yeah. and they're going to come together for a great cause. I was like, that's, that's beyond football. That's so awesome. And his play, I mean, on the field too, like you said, has been absolutely insane. Um, what I didn't even, game. what I didn't even put down on here, I don't believe is the Hail Mary. We didn't, we haven't even talked about that. Oh, but from Kyler Murray? Yeah, from Kyler Murray. It just D-Hop, jogged my yeah. memory right there. So DeAndre Hopkins with that Hail Mary and then like the, the memes about like the Jordan branding above the Adidas and the Nike gloves and all of that. Yeah. Um, man, we didn't even touch on that. Like, what did you see out of that play? That, I mean, in that Kyler game Murray had too. Just, I mean, yeah, he rolled out of the pocket and just, you know, hucked it deep. And that was like triple coverage, I want to say. Dude, it wasn't oh, even yeah, like, it was triple coverage. It was all triple literally coverage. So congested, and the fact that D Hop was able to just go up in between all three of them and come down with that was just like that's like a Megatron type play. Exactly, and that was the comparison that it has, drew. Yeah, I don't think he has the physical traits that Megatron has. So different um, play styles for yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. And to see him go up and do that is just kind of like, yeah, this dude is a top receiver in this league for sure. Dude, yeah, top if not the top. Now, did you also see? Because obviously Megatron was asked a lot about this, and then. He also, the, the, in one of the interviews with him, turned to a different direction, and he came out and said that Aaron Rodgers was recruiting him when he was at Detroit for a long time. Okay. Did, you, did you see anything about yeah, that? Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I saw that too, but um, <laughs> the I think that right would have been the demise of the Lions. Dude, I don't think that would have been the demise of the NFC. To be anything. honest, yeah, that would have been horrible for the NFC. Dude. That would have been like probably the worst thing to happen in football at that point. That would have been like Golden State just bringing in all like the studs. And I'm glad that we've gotten to see this like character development, I guess, from Rodgers and how he's been much more outspoken because personally coming from someone who like, like in the past, I wouldn't say I like hated the dude or anything just yeah. because like, just like rival, whatever. He's like, not a very, especially out of other teams. Yeah, not he's not a well-liked guy. Him. 
But and, I think in the past he's kind of changed. I don't think he's like put that narrative on its back, but he's definitely changed it a bit, mm-hmm. and he's come a bit a bit more. Uh, outgoing and just been more presentable and like yeah, exactly. just like personable. I think is a great word. Yeah, now people get to see other aspects of him and like Aaron's life. I do. I do think like he is not, definitely not an easy guy to like in general. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I, I always lean more towards Favre as the reason why I kind of like the Packers more. Um, I do think Rodgers is a better quarterback in general, but I think I would just rather sit down with Favre just because of the fact that he was just like a more well-rounded dude. Yeah. Rodgers, I don't think, is a guy that's like easily likable. And he wears Wrangler jeans. Yeah, that's true. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the one thing that you just can't knock about Rodgers is that he's a great quarterback. Never, but yeah. I wouldn't necessarily put him up there as like the top personality that I would want to be around. You didn't put him up there as uh, one of the MVP quarterbacks too. Did you? Uh... I, I, I think he's up there, but I didn't want to make it seem like okay, that was that's like fair. me just, that's fair. you know, being the Packers fan that I am. I, yeah. I obviously, I would love to see him win the MVP. I would, I would awesome. love nothing more, but um, you know, I think that would just be more of a knock to the other guys and the play that they have. Um, that's fair. I, I think Rodgers should be in the conversation, but Agreed. whether or not he will be is just subject to change at this point. Yeah. Anyways, thank you, Zach. It was great to have Alex on, talk a little bit of football, college football, NFL. Shoot, we got a little bit of everything in today. Um, thank you guys so much for watching. And if you somewhat remotely enjoyed this episode and our stupid banter about the sport that we love, please tell a friend. Go out and tell family members when you're sitting at Thanksgiving. Right when you're sitting at Thanksgiving and you're eating that turkey and uh, that all of that great Thanksgiving food, you lean over and you tell your uncle that you see twice a year. You know, I, I listen to this great podcast called Division One Rejects, and I think you should check it out. But thank you everybody for watching on a serious note and go watch some great football this weekend.